Hi, I'm Liz from Liz Gets Loaded. That's the money kind of loaded, but this is the show where I sit in my closet, drink wine, and talk about money and anxiety. I have both. Hello, hello. Hi, friends. Today, I want to talk about date night. Okay, not that kind of date night, a money date, the kind of date where you sit down and you look at the numbers, you look at your budget and your investments and your spending and your goals and all that kind of thing. So I actually mention this all the time. We do a monthly money date and I got a DM and I'm sorry, I don't remember who sent this to me. And the problem with Instagram is there is no search function. There's no way for me to search to try to understand who asked that. But one person asked and said, hey, like you talk about this, but what what do you actually do? And I realized that's a really good point. I don't think I've ever outlined that. So I'm gonna tell you what I do. That doesn't mean that it has to be what you do. It actually never occurred to me to talk about it before because in my head I was like, well, this isn't anything special. It's actually pretty simple. And then I started to just write myself a few notes before I started recording just to get it down on paper. So I knew what I wanted to talk about. And then I was like, actually, this is kind of complicated. (laughs) So I will tell you what, what I do, what we do and why in case that's helpful. Okay. So let me talk first about when I will say we do this like anytime generally in the first week of the month. And it's not a whole sit down thing. You could make it a whole sit down thing. I think that would actually be really nice. Sit down at the actual kitchen table with something delicious to drink and a snack and make it a whole thing. Usually it's on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and I'm like, oh, hey, do you want to do the money date? And then we go do it. And so we go sit in my office and there's a couple of things that happen. One, so actually outside of us sitting down together, we update all of our accounts, meaning just entering the current balance in the my wealth diary tracker. And we do that async. I have access to almost all of our, I mean, we both have access to all of our accounts, but I don't have passwords for a couple of accounts. Like, you know, how you can't co-own a 401k or things like that. I do actually have the passwords for most of them. So I could just update them on my own. But at this point, the two of us have both had some number of jobs. And so the number of like health savings accounts and 401ks with small amounts of money that one day we're going to get around to rolling over is substantial. Let me look, actually. I'll tell you how many accounts we have. Okay, I just pulled up. I used the My Wealth Diary tracker. So we have, and this is for two adults. There's different categories, right? Like cash, retirement, taxable, et cetera. So for cash, we have four different categories. I would say four different accounts, but one of these banks, we have multiple accounts and I just put them in as one. But call it like four different accounts where cash sit really more, but it's fine. And then under retirement, again, between the two of us, two, three, seven, eight, 11, 12 retirement accounts. That's HSAs, 401ks, IRAs, and then taxable five, six, six different taxable accounts. If that seems like a lot, if you're curious, it's one like combined kind of main account, like taxable brokerage account. One is our donor advice fund, which isn't technically a taxable investment account, but I just didn't know where else to put it. And then we have three accounts that are just tied to company stock from like current or former employers. And one kind of random taxable brokerage that I started on a whim one day because I wanted to try a new company. (laughs) And then also on the My Wealth Diary tracker, it gives you a spot 
to put in like any real estate or mortgages that you have to, but just for the cash retirement and taxable accounts, that's a lot of accounts. <laughs> so we do that async, asynchronously, meaning we don't sit down and do it together. I just do most of them. And then again, there's maybe four accounts I just haven't gotten the password to yet. And I should just say, hey, can you give me the password to those in the website? But usually I'm just lazy and I say, can you just update these couple and I'll do the rest. This feels so personal to share. <laughs> now that I'm saying it, it feels, yeah, like I said, it feels very personal. A little peek inside the life. Okay. So we do that before we do anything else. And then when we sit down and we're actually doing things together, the first thing that we do is to transfer the totals for different spending categories from YNAB. YNAB is a piece of software. It stands for you need a budget, YNAB. And then we transfer that into the My Wealth Diary tracker. And then I also keep my own spreadsheet. I really don't need to keep my own spreadsheet. It's very similar to the cash flow sheet on the My Wealth Diary tracker, but I've been doing my own thing for forever. I've had this version of this spreadsheet since, whoa, since 2015. Wow. I did not realize these tabs went back so far. I should do a like then and now comparison because that would be wild. Okay. Anyways, the transfer is actually kind of one of the most fun things for me. I could definitely just export these totals out of YNAB and then copy and paste them into my own spreadsheet and into my wealth diary. But for one, we just do it out loud. So one of us, it, it depends on the month. One of us will pull up YNAB and then the other one has Google Sheets open and we literally just go through and read it out loud. Like, you know, for incoming money, all the categories, like food, groceries, 867. Okay. 867. Let me type it in. Takeout 118. Okay. 118. Let me type it in. That's really the only review we do of our spending. It's like, oh, that number feels high. What was in that this month? I'm like, oh yeah. Remember? Oh yeah. I spent a bunch of money on clothes this month because we were going on a trip or we were going to a wedding or I realized I didn't have any pants without holes in them or whatever. Or I might say, oh, our grocery seems really low this month. Oh, right. Because we were out of town a couple weekends. Okay. That makes sense. I think that's kind of the most fun part of it because I like looking back on the month and it's kind of a nice way to reflect on fun things that happened and obviously sometimes not fun things that happen, but just kind of interesting. I'm always surprised by how much I don't remember just from the previous month. So I'll be like, oh, I totally forgot we bought that portable air conditioner unit. That was just this, that was just four weeks ago. Or, oh my gosh, I forgot we went out to that fun dinner. That was just three weeks ago, but now I see it in our spending. And so I get to remember that and, and be pumped about that again. So we transfer all of that over basically like my spreadsheet that's mine that I've used since 2015. I, at the beginning of the year, I put in my predictions for each month and then you make a copy and then I update it with like what the actual was for each month. So if I say, oh, groceries this month were $815, I can look and say, oh, okay, well, we'd only put in 700. So that one's a little high, but oh, we spent $0 on clothes this month. Okay. Well, I had budgeted 200. So on that one, we're low. And then once we've typed it all in, I just look at how much money, basically how much came in, how much went out and how much was left over. And then we'll also look at the coming up month just quickly. We'll look at the next column and kind of think, okay, is there anything that we know is coming up? Like, oh, we're going on that trip next month or, oh, it's, we're going to that wedding. So we need to put money in the gift category to buy a wedding gift or, oh, you know what? We did ask the lawn people to come and pull all the weeds. So that's going to be an extra couple hundred bucks in that line item next month. So let's kind of think about that kind of thing. And then once all the numbers are entered, there's a couple things that I like to look at actually kind of a lot of things. <laughs> 
So I like to look at total spending just as a ballpark. And I used to post it every month. I've gotten a little bit lazy about it, but I should get back to that because it's interesting. And then I also like to look at what our cash flow for the month was, just meaning how much money did we have going out? How much money did we have coming in and how much was left over? Occasionally we'll have a month where we go into the negative. Maybe if there was a big house repair in the same month that we went on vacation in the same month as something else happened. Usually I know this is a lucky spot to be, but usually we have money left over and it's just how much that we didn't spend that month. And that ranges. I'm looking this year. The lowest amount we've had left over was $293. And the most we've had left over was $5,000, but that was in a month that I got paid a bonus. So it's never the same. You'd think that they'd be kind of the same sometimes, but it's it's like, it's not even close. (laughs) So I like to look at our total spending and then, you know, total cash flow for the month. One more note on total spending. I do feel like it always feels like a surprise for as closely as I track our spending and as much as I talk about it, I will say I get to the end of the month and I'm like, oh, that felt like such an expensive month. But what feels like an expensive month is not always the same as what is an expensive month because what feels like an expensive month for me is if we go get ice cream a lot. But even if I went and got ice cream like 10 times, that's, I don't know, that would be like $150. And what actually ends up being an expensive month is home repair, travel, car repair, medical bill. Like those are the things that actually make a month expensive, but they don't feel expensive because they don't, I think, cause I don't have as much emotion around those kinds of expenses because it wasn't my choice. So I think that's really interesting actually. Anyways, I also like to look at our after tax savings rate. So after you take out taxes, how much did we spend? And then how much did we not spend? So just as an example that I will use very easy numbers to make the math easy, let's say we made $10,000 this month, but $2,000 of that was taxes. So that would leave us with 8,000 after taxes. If we spent 4,000, then I would say our savings rate was 50%. For me, savings, it doesn't matter if we invested it, if it's just cash sitting in the bank, it's just whatever we made minus whatever we spent. And after taxes, because I and there's no value to me in looking at before tax numbers. I mean, I look at the My Wealth Diary tracker gives you that number, but like I don't know, it doesn't. It it's not meaningful for me. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. After tax savings rate, because I spend way too much time on the personal finance corner of the internet, means a lot to me. And every once in a while, it's over fifty percent, and I feel like a superhero. And when it's below that, I'm like, I guess I am garbage. <laughs> not really. I don't. It doesn't really affect me that much but I do wish that we had a higher savings rate sometimes just because we used to have a higher savings rate. And I really liked that. And having a lower savings rate, like intellectually, I know that that's fine. And I know that we're doing really well. And I know that we're just ahead of a lot of people who would love to be saving, you know, 30 or 40% of their income after taxes. But you, we all have a really hard time not playing the comparison game. And I'm comparing myself to a few years ago when our savings rate was regularly over 50%. So, well, well, it is what it is. I also like to look at our year-to-date investment totals. So like so far what we've contributed to 401k, HSA, taxable brokerage, et cetera. I also always look at our year-to-date taxes. We both make over the social security maximum. So after you've made a certain amount of money in the year and it changes every year, then you stop paying social security taxes until it resets again on January 1st. And so I just like to look at that and see how far we are. Even in March, I'm like, 
how far are we? I know it's far away until we get over that amount, but it's fun to look at. And then also not every month, but every couple of months, I'll plug our information into a tax calculator and figure out if I think we're on track to get a refund or to have to pay. And then the last two things I like to look at is I like to look at our net worth both with and without real estate. So it's more fun to look at the number with real estate because it's higher. (laughs) But when I think about sort of classic FIRE, meaning financial independence slash retire early, it's really the non-real estate assets that are most helpful when it comes to financial independence and potentially retiring early because that's actually money you can live off of. Real estate equity is nice, but it doesn't pay the bills. (laughs) You'd have to liquefy it in order to make it liquefy it. Is that right? Liquidate. You'd have to sell it in order to use that money. Not planning on doing that anytime soon, eventually. But so I like to look at it both with and without. And then lastly, I like to look at our pace to financial independence. So this is another separate spreadsheet that I keep where I have input our net worth every month for a really long time, five years, maybe longer. And it shows what I would need to be on, like where our net worth would need to be each month in order to retire by, I can't remember what year, in the next couple of years. And then whether we're ahead or behind that number. And then it also shows a trend line, which is what I really like to look at. And the trend line is just a simple thing you can do in Google Sheets. But what I like is even when the market is down, so this month the market was down, I was like, oh, our net worth dropped by whatever, 2% or something. And when I put that in, like the trend line doesn't really change. It changes a little bit, but it's also taking into account everything that's happened over the last five years. And so one month of being down isn't that big of a deal. So I really like that. I keep meaning, it's on my to-do list. I should publish that spreadsheet somewhere because I really love it. And I should just throw it up on a website or put it on Etsy for a couple bucks or something. I think you'd really like it. So one day I will do that. I will remember to do that. So high level, that's what we do. I'll, t- I'll tell you more about like what we get out of it, but high level, we update all of our account balances asynchronously. And then we manually, like very manually, like one of us reads the numbers out to the other one. <laughs> we manually transfer totals from a system that tracks things automatically. So you could use, you need a budget. You could use Mint. You could use, what's the other one? Monarch. You could use, there's so many. And anyways, we put that into spreadsheets. We look at what's coming up and then I look at some metrics that I just like to look at month over month. Total spending, cash flow, after-tax savings rate, year-to-date investment, year-to-date taxes. You don't have to do all of that. Like you definitely don't. The very minimum I think would be a good idea for this, like your MVP or minimum viable product would be to use one system that tracks your transactions automatically. Think like a Mint, a YNAB, a Monarch, something like that. Going in, making sure all your categories, excuse me, all your transactions were categorized correctly and just looking at your total spending. That would be more than a lot of people are doing. And I think it goes a long way. I enjoy this stuff. Like it's a hobby for me. So I have a lot of fun with it. It's I like tinkering around with all the numbers, but you definitely don't have to do that to be successful. The way we do it, though, I think has a couple of benefits. And I am speaking for both of us here, I guess. I just tossed this out over my shoulder on the way upstairs to record. I was like, hey, I'm going to go record a podcast about our money dates. Like, what do you do? You have any anything I should share? <laughs> what do you want to say? And let's see. I got a, I got a couple pieces of feedback. One is that it's helpful to just understand where all of our cash goes. I think especially as we started to earn higher incomes, it can just kind of feel like we I think I quoted Carrie Bradshaw in my last podcast or maybe the one before, like like she, there's that episode and she goes, where did all my money go? I know I made some. (laughs) 
And it all adds up, right? It's easy to think someone making, you know, whatever number, 100K, 200K, 300K, like whatever. It's like, oh, well, you should just be able to afford anything. You can, you just like never run out of money. But once, especially once you start investing aggressively, once you start having a significant amount of taxes come out, and then if you're like us and you bought a big house with a big mortgage, (laughs) all of a sudden you're like, okay. I mean, there's, it still always feels comfortable. It still always feels like there's enough, but it is surprising how much it all adds up quickly. So one, it's nice to just know where all the money is going. Like where is the spending happening Two, I mentioned that that spot where we asynchronously update our account balances. I have that spreadsheet labeled with, it's not just like 401k or like 401k with the company name. It's like whose account it is, what kind of account it is. And then the name of the Oh my gosh, why am I blanking? The name of the company where it is, right? So like Vanguard, Fidelity, Wealthfront, Chase, etc. And so it has all of that listed. And that I do in case I get hit by a bus. <laughs> so that there is an easy place. Like, okay, this is literally where our money actually lives. So in case for some reason I'm not here, it's all documented somewhere. And then the other, again, the other piece of feedback I got on my way up the stairs was like, Oh, it always feels like a little mini tutorial where I'm like, oh, this is how this works. This is why we're putting money here. This is why um, we're doing it this way. Oh, this is why I'm looking at taxes because I'm not sure if you've reached the social security cap yet. I would say that the two of us are very much on the same page when it comes to financial goals, when it comes to spending habits, when it comes to lifestyle choices. But this is definitely my baby. Like I am very much the CFO of this household and I am the person who inputs back to our Roth IRAs for both of us, who does our taxes, who makes the color-coded spreadsheet, et cetera. But it is important that there's full transparency, that there's full communication that we're both on the same page and that we're confirming all along the way that that we're rowing in the same direction. And I think that brings me back to my original point that it never occurred to me to talk about it because it doesn't feel like that big of a deal. And I think it doesn't feel like that big of a deal because we talk about it all the time. So at least once a month, we're just sitting down and if any small things are coming up, it's really easy to iron it out. It hasn't piled up to now where there's a bunch of decisions and there's a bunch of stuff that we need to talk about. So we do. I also do a little annual planning exercise. I did a podcast about that. I did an episode about that. I'm going to make a note. I will link that in the show notes if you want to know how I prepare for the coming year. It's almost time to do that. It's September as I'm recording this. And so yeah, in the next month or two, I'll probably start sketching out 2024. I did it really early last year. I don't. I was just over 2022. I was so ready for 2023. But like I said, I'll link to what I do there. It also feels pretty simple, pretty basic, but I think anything that you do for yourself probably feels interesting and basic because you've been doing it for so long, but sometimes it's interesting to hear what other people do. So, okay. That is all I have, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, can you think of three people who might also enjoy it? You sharing it with people you know is a huge way to help new listeners find me. And if you really liked it, you could go on Apple Podcasts and leave a written review like the one from Dawn Marie, who said, I would listen to Liz read a grocery list. So here we are. (laughs) And actually, oh my gosh, that's so funny. I've just been reading these in order, but last week I almost did just read my grocery list. (laughs) I was talking about all the food spending. That is funny. That's, that's funny. This is, this is where we've landed. Okay. My friends have a wonderful week and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.